welcome to In the Booth, a podcast by the Frederick News Post. My name is Jillian Natalsik, and I cover education. In this series, we're sitting down with each of the 16 candidates for the Frederick County Board of Education. It's a more crowded field than we've seen in years, and there's been an unprecedented amount of money poured into the race so far. With school board elections across the country receiving more attention than ever, we wanted to ask each local candidate about the most pressing issues facing Frederick County Public Schools. For today's episode, I spoke with Ray Gallagher. She's been on the board before. In January 2020, County Executive Jan Gardner nominated her to fill a vacancy. She served until December of that year, but she wasn't elected to the seat when she ran for it that fall. Ray told me about what she's learned from previous campaigns, her nonprofit work with school districts, and more. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Check back for more over the coming weeks. And don't forget, primary elections are July 19th, and early voting begins July 7th. So we have Ray Gallagher with us. Welcome, Ray. Thank you. So just to get started, what we're going to be asking everybody is if you could let us know where you're from or where you live now in the county, sort of what your day job is, and whether you've campaigned for any kind of public office before. Sure. So I live in Newmarket currently. Um, my professional background is in nonprofit management. So I'm currently working for an organization called the Center for Supportive Schools. We partner with schools um, in my role in Maryland, uh, Washington, D.C., and Delaware on building peer leadership programs into schools, primarily high schools and middle schools, um, partnering with teachers and administrators to really build positive school cultures where all students feel like they are safe and supported. Um, And so I do a bit of travel around the region and then work remotely when I have an opportunity to do so. Um, So spend a lot of time talking to teachers and administrators and educators um, in our region. I'm sorry, what was the third part of your question? Have you ever run before for this office or other public office? Thank you. Um, So I have run for the Board of Education previously in 2020. I was appointed um, to the board to fill a vacancy by Jane Gardner um, right before the pandemic hit. Um, and served out the duration of that term and campaigned for the Board of Education that year as well. And obviously, I did not win that race. Um, and so I am campaigning again. Great. Well, yeah, can you talk about what made you decide to run this cycle and what you see as sort of the most important issues of your campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I really decided to run again because I really believe in public education. I believe that FCPS um, is actually a really great school district. There's a lot of really wonderful opportunities for our students, um, for our educators. And of course, there's always something that we can do better and do more of. Um, Right now, I'm really concerned about retaining and recruiting educators into our classrooms and into our buildings. Um, I think that there's more that we need to do to make sure that our educators um, feel supported in school buildings and that their salary and benefits are competitive to other areas around us. And really, I decided to run again because I think that we need people on the board who can work together, who can communicate effectively, who are open to dialogue and parent input um, in a respectful um, way. I think there are a lot of ways for us to partner together with the community to continue to drive positive change in our schools. Um, And I'm a parent as well. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, both in FCPS. And so I'm really invested in their future and the future of our students in in the county. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you mentioned staff pay, and that was actually something I was going to ask you about a little later on. But I know that pay for FCPS staff often ranks among the lowest in the state, definitely lower than our surrounding jurisdictions. And that's been something that a lot of school board members and staff um, union representatives have expressed a lot of concern about when it comes to maintaining, you know, recruiting and retaining the staff that they have. So I'm wondering if there are any specific initiatives that you support on that front or what ideas you have to sort of help alleviate that pain that our district is feeling right now. Yep. So I think there's two things. One is that the Board of Education um, really has to partner with our local and state officials around budgeting for competitive salaries and benefits for our teachers. The board can talk all day long about wanting to increase educator salaries, but they don't have any actual power to do that unless they're working in partnership with um, our county officials and then our state officials to really make sure that the funding that is directed towards the schools is adequate and more than adequate at this point. We are going to see increases in educator salary across the state that doesn't increase the competitiveness within FCPS. And so I think there has to be a really concerted effort and commitment on the board members um, level to partner with state and county officials to to make that a priority moving forward. Um, It is in comparison to pretty much any county that is in drivable distance to FCPS you can, um, an educator can go and get a higher salary um, and benefits. But I think that's only one component that the board um, should be talking about or, or, or really I think will be talking about in the future. Um, workload is another factor that weighs heavily into educator satisfaction in their school buildings and classrooms. There was quite a bit of talk at the um, beginning part of this school year around educator workload planning time Um, number of students in classrooms, how they're balancing the many needs that students have. Um, And those conversations, I think, have died down a little bit. It hasn't been revisited by the board. Um, I think that there was a lot of survey feedback that the board asked for and received from teachers and and other staff members in buildings um, that they haven't been able to act on and they haven't acted on. Um, And so I think that's something that um, I'm committed to doing in partnership with other board members um, and teachers as well. There are there there are ways to increase planning time um, to make sure that teachers have um, have what they need to to um, feel effective in the classroom. So I think that it's a two pronged approach when we're talking about recruiting and retaining. Um, educators in our buildings. It's compensation and benefits and looking for ways to really make those more competitive in comparison to other jurisdictions and addressing some of the workload concerns that have continued to, I think, just rise as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Great. So if you were elected, you would be serving during the beginning part of the tenure of the first new superintendent that FCPS has seen in over a decade. So I'm curious how you would plan to work with Dr. Dyson and what, if anything, you think could be changed or improved as the district sort of enters this new chapter? Mm-hmm. I think it's a really exciting time. Um, it's a great question. I think as we're looking forward um, with potentially four new board members coming on, maybe not four, it depends on you know what happens with the incumbents who are currently sitting, but um, and having a new superintendent coming in. I think for me, the priority would be really getting everybody together 
um, and strategically thinking about what are the goals and priorities that we need to focus on short term, medium term, and long term, and working through those together, both as a board, um, and then also hearing from Dr. Dyson about her experiences that she's bringing as a really highly qualified educator into our county. You know, there are probably things that she could glean that worked well in Montgomery County, and then some things that I think she'll be learning about what might be different or unique about Frederick County. Um, but I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for the current board and any newly elected members and the new superintendent to, to come together and really make some decisions and look at what worked well, what has been working well, what are we going to improve and how are we going to get there um, and really getting all on the same page about that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, speaking of things that need to improve, I know one thing that has been uh pretty talked about lately is the district special education programs, especially since the Department of Justice investigation was announced in December. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on on where that stands now and how you would navigate that if you were elected, the continued impacts of that investigation on the special education community here and any changes you think might benefit it. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, most recently, Dr. Marco has um, done a really good job of going out and listening and hearing from parents, from special education advocates, um, and from FCPS staff. I've really appreciated that he seems open um, to feedback and to input. Um, When I was on the board in 2020, I served on the Special Education um, Citizens Advisory Committee. Um, And there is an amazing group of advocates and parents who have a lot of really valuable experiences with special education and FCPS. And most of those experiences have not been great, not all of them. Um, But what it comes down to, I think, from a lot of the conversations that I've had from parents and from educators is that we've just been chronically under-resourced in a lot of different areas. But when you look at special education in particular, um, a lot of parents have told me that the real key to turning things around into success and what would make them feel um, more comfortable and more that their children are being cared for is increasing staff ratios to to students, um, particularly those with special education needs. Um, That goes back to partnering with our local government and state government and maybe even federal government to make sure that FCPS has adequate resources to be able to meet the needs of all of our special education service or students. Um, There is such a broad range of needs within our special education um, students, and we have to direct resources to to meet those. And, And what it really comes down to is staffing, a lot of the time, training, and staffing. Um, And so for me, that would be a big priority if I'm elected. I think we need to continue really genuinely listening to the input of our advocates and our parents in the community. They have these experiences. They know what it takes to be successful working with special education students. Um, And then we have to do something with that. So um, I think the steps that Dr. Marco is currently taking are, are headed in the right direction. I'd like to see that continue. And then we need to come together and figure out how we really resource um, to meet the needs of our students. Yeah, another topic that's been talked about in the community lately is the health curriculum, and the particularly in the area of family life and human sexuality. Um, there have been some candidates who have expressed a lot of uh, anger over some new developments that came down from the state. 
And I'm wondering where you stand on this um, this idea of trying to make the curriculum more inclusive of different sexual orientations and gender identities in an age-appropriate way, as the school district says. Um, but yeah, I'm just wondering what what you think about that issue and how it's played out in the community over these last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so I think that as a parent, uh, if I only heard some of the information that is being put out about um, that our elementary school students are going to be learning about uh, sexual identity or sex or gender identity, I would probably also be alarmed and concerned. Um, I told you, I, I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Um, of course, as a parent, I want to be having conversations with them around sensitive topics um, before they might hear about those other places, right? Um, but when you look at what's in the curriculum, how teachers are actually implementing the resources and the curriculum, or how I anticipate they probably will be, um, given that right now they're just standards right. on a piece of paper. Um, I think that the story and narrative that is being put out is um, a lot of misrepresentation and misinformation. Um, when you look at the standard of identifying that there are different types of families, most kids in first, second, third grade, they already know that there are many different types of families um, that, you know, there are, uh, a grandmother might be taking care of children. There's intergenerational families. There are same gender families. There are, um, you know, single parent families. There are adoptive families. There are foster families. To me, um, those are things that I have a seven-year-old. She, she already knows that her friend has two moms. Does she know exactly what that means? No, she knows that there is a, a mom and a mom that love each other, and that's it. So there is no teacher, I, I don't believe, that is having um, explicit conversations around sexual ident identity or gender, um, and the, the other standards that are included in the K-3 curriculum as well. Um, it, it just, I think that there, we are at this point where it seems like People can't have just honest conversation or dialogue about what might be effective. Um, it's, it's, you know, misinformation, um, and everybody is, like, really emotional about it, of course, because people are emotional about their children. Um, so I, I hope that as we move forward through this process that the Family Life um, Advisory Committee can do their job, they can look at the resources available, find those things that are age appropriate that will address some of these new standards that um, have been put out by MSDE, that the community will have the, the opportunity to preview those and provide input and hear from teachers or educators about how those conversations might actually play out in the classroom. Um, and I think that when I have conversations with other parents who aren't super tuned in to everything that that's happening um they're confused they they hear different things um but when they go and talk to their child's teacher they're like oh that that's that's what this conversation is about it's fine um and so i really hope that fcps can um increase their communication and transparency around this process that parents will have an opportunity to preview and see what those lessons look like, what the resources might be. And then I think the fact that at the um, curriculum and instruction meeting last week, um, 
they offered that there will be an opt-out option for students. That seems like a pretty fair compromise to me um, for parents who feel like this is not the right direction for um, their child in that moment. Um, and so I'm hoping that there can be more conversation and really, you know, respectful dialogue um, because there are, th this is, there are a lot of sensitive topics within the um, health curriculum. And I think that parents, when they have the opportunity to, to see what's in there um, and weigh in, that they'll likely feel a lot more supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you brought up communication and transparency, which um, if you're familiar with the results of a survey that was conducted by the search firm who found Dr. Dyson and was looking for the next superintendent, communication and transparency were two things that a lot of both staff and community members felt the district uh, could improve on a lot. It seemed there were some positive stats in that data, but a lot of data points seem to suggest sort of falling levels of trust among parents, community members, even teachers and administrators. And I'm wondering if you were elected how you would work to rebuild that trust and that confidence in the school system, given, you know, the rough couple of years that it's been for our district and districts around the country. Mm -hmm. I think the only way to really rebuild trust is with time and with really intentional effort. Um, and that has to include a really firm commitment to transparency and communication. I think it needs to be very clear where parents and community members can go to get information um, on whatever it might be that they're looking for information. But let's say it's on the health curriculum. It should be very clear where they can go to review information. Um, but they shouldn't necessarily have to go out and seek that either. I think that there are ways that FCPS can be really intentional about sending out information so that it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. So that's probably using multiple modes of communication, electronic and paper forms and multiple languages um, to make sure that all of our student population and parents have access to that information. Um, and then, you know, I, even as a parent, it's sometimes hard to find information on FCPS's website. Um, particularly during the pandemic, there was information that I found that was not updated, hadn't been updated for 18 months. And so I think that as a board member, I would really prioritize making sure that our technology is easily accessible in multiple languages and easy to navigate for anybody who, you know, has any question. You should be able to go in and search and get directed right towards what it is you're looking for. And so I think that that is an area that FCPS um, has been improving on, but could definitely do more. And with that, I think it's just going to take time to rebuild that trust. Um, I hope that Dr. Dyson will come in listening to all of our stakeholders, parents, students, um, teachers, staff. And I think that taking those steps to, to listen first before formulating any particular plan to address anything will go a long way. Um, and then you have to follow through. You can't ask for feedback. And then when you get it, disregard it. Um, so I think it'll take time, but it really requires, I think, some intentional effort and in listening. Um, there are a lot of community members that are in opposition to each other right now, and you have to listen to all sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with building trust, that's something that's been talked about a lot with um, 
terms of students of color, staff of color. We had the incident a couple weeks back at Middletown Middle School. There are three students uh, facing hate crime charges in connection with an incident where a racist image was shared on social media. And there's also been talk at school board meetings lately about working to increase the percentage of staff of color in the schools. The staff right now does not mirror the community. Uh, It's not even really that close. So there's been some discussion of hiring an HR staffer who's sole purpose was to focus on recruiting minority staff. Um, There have been other ideas thrown out about how to sort of recruit and retain a teaching staff that more closely resembles the community. Uh, So I'm wondering what you think about those efforts and efforts to support staff and students of color generally right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is a really good approach for FCPS to... um, to have an individual or at least a group of individuals focusing on um, increasing the diversity of our educate classroom educators and staff as a whole. Um, I think that there, my guess is that not just within FCPS, but within education systems in general, that we are going to continue to see a lot of young teachers leaving the classroom and a lot of retirements. We've already seen that trend a bit in the um, vacancy reports being put out by FCPS um, in board meetings. You have a lot of teachers one and two years in who are leaving um, and a lot of retirements at this point. Um, And I think that FCPS does need to make uh, a very concerted effort to increase the diversity of our educators in classrooms because really that that benefits all students, um, not just minority students. It it benefits all students to have educators who um, reflect the diversity of our entire community. Um, So I'm very much in support of that, and I think that there are some very particular things that FCPS can be doing to um, increase our uh, representation of minorities in classrooms. Um, And then I think in terms of uh, students of color and staff of color feeling supported by FCPS, um, there needs to be more that is done to um, increase dialogue, I think. Um, The incidents that happened or the incident that happened at Middletown Middle is just probably the most recent example of um, racial slurs being used um, and directed at students of color. This is not a new conversation though. And so I think it's disappointing that we're not further along in the conversation. I think that the racial equity committee has been doing some really good work and and paving some pathway forward for FCPS to, to look at things like, you know, disciplinary policies, bullying and harassment. Um, but when I, um, when I went to the forum that the Racial Equity Committee held a couple weeks ago at Frederick High School, I think that there, were, there was a lot of anger from community members that we're really just in the conversation stage right now and we should be reforming policy um, and making some definitive action to make sure that our students of color and our staff of color feel supported um, and safe in our, in our buildings. Um, so that's definitely a commitment that I am making Um, as a Board of Education candidate 
Um, and one, one way, I, there are a number of programs that FCPS has in place that I think have not been, during the pandemic, um, maybe fell back a little bit. So there's the Student Voices program. I don't know if they're doing it this year, but they were doing it prior to the pandemic, bringing different student groups together to engage in dialogue. Um, and that's really one way I think that we can start to reduce some of the um, bullying um, and race-based incidences, having students talk together in restorative ways, sharing experiences and, and building relationships. Great. Well, <clears throat> as we get ready to wrap up here, I know this is a crowded field this year, 16 candidates. It's the most we've had in at least the last five or six years. I'd have to go back and, and check. But I'm wondering if you could talk about why you think out of that crowded field you are qualified for this and, and what kind of sets you apart from other candidates in terms of why voters should choose you yeah. in July. Absolutely. It's a very crowded field um, this time around. I think that something that I bring is I have a lot of experience working with schools and districts, um, with teachers, with administrators um, in my professional role. Um, I take a lot of feedback from them about their experiences. And I think it's really important that board members are listening to educators. We know that if educators are um, feel supported and um, are professional and uh, diverse and students get to glean from that in the classroom that their outcomes are going to be so much better long-term. And so I'm really committed to listening to our educators, um, encouraging parental involvement and dialogue um, around any one of these sensitive issues. But overall, I think, again, students win when parents and schools are working together in partnership and not in opposition uh, of each other. And finally, um, I am somebody who really believes in public education. I really believe that education should have options for, for everybody and meet the unique needs of our students. I think FCPS is a wonderful place to learn and grow. And I am committed to working in partnership together with staff, with parents, and with other board members to continue pushing that change forward. Great. Ray Gallagher, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.